Today in the podcast, Jason and I continue our discussion about the importance of documenting your experience and expertise when publishing actionable content in your online platform. How to position yourself as the highest authority in your market for the type of content that you publish and why you can genuinely be deemed by everybody else to be the go-to guy or girl in your niche. This is Digital Bacon FM. Yes, 10 o'clock on the dot, a little whiplash, a little wah-wah. Yes, and we bring him in, top of the hour. Good morning, Mr. Barnes. Well, hello, young man. Thank you for that uh, delightful, uh, heartfelt welcome. Yeah, well, it was the orchestra getting ready to play. Well, yeah, you know, um, guess uh, who's the conductor today, you or me? Always you on a Friday at 10 o'clock, sir. Great stuff. So um, we're going to talk about Monopoly again. Yes, we are. We're picking up where we left off last week. Yeah, that was where we were talking about the importance of being remarkable. Yes. Um, now, now, I've been thinking about our chats, and I was I yeah. was trying to think in my mind, what would be a good expression to uh, describe that you've arrived as a monopoly? And it may have been said before, but in a different a different way. But I think when your brand goes from being a proper noun to being a verb, you've reached the global audience. So you've been Googled. Yeah, I can't you, with that. You, you've been Facebook. So we need to work on that. So come up with an expression that uh, says you know you you know you've you know you've achieved a monopoly when you've gone from a proper noun to a verb. Well, okay, there's a, there's, there's a, a whole lot of truth in that, but you know my definition of monopoly is fifty percent market share. Yes, yeah, yours is sexier than mine, but I was trying. I remember, it's a zero to one play, right? Where you come from nothing, then just have one who's got a monopoly position. Yes, um, and uh, that that party owns fifty percent of the market. As a minimum. Mm. Right. Picking up from giving it so, away for free, documenting your experience and your expertise. Well, that's right. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we're now in module three, chapter 10 of uh, the Monopoly Planner material, where we talk about the uh, dynamic of giving away what you have for free that helps people answer questions and solve problems and mm. empowers them in, in new ways. Um, and producing a, uh, a sort of a portfolio of information manifested on the web that represents the total documentation of what you know. So, you know, the summation of your expertise. Mm. So you should produce um, on the Internet in your niche uh, what I've called actionable content. Uh, that's information that's organized in such a way so that it, uh, it dovetails into the exact way uh, that the problem can best be solved mm. in a practical sense. Uh, so it's uh, things like do-it-yourself do kits and, uh, and what have you. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, in your content production endeavors, you produce content that, uh, what I've said, as achieving jobs to be done. So, for example, in our business, the job to be done is to get a, physically a visa label and a passport and then embodies a permission to do something. Mm -hmm. That's the job to be done. We don't sell that. We sell peace of mind mm. uh, that we can get that job done. So uh, because, you know, we want to uh, uh, 
allow your content to be used to its most efficient and most effective. You organize it in such a way that it allows that job to be done, to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, when you produce your content, you organize it by its use. So in our case, you know, we've got a number of different websites uh, that are aligned with both our Hong Kong immigration practice and also this stuff called intelligent content marketing. But um, when you look at the way that our content is laid out, you understand uh, that it's actually organized by use. So we have, for example, the Hong Kong Visa Handbook. That's the functional content. That's the nitty gritty of you know, getting uh, a Hong Kong immigration application completed, sort of step by step. Um, hmm. We have, uh, for example, our do-it-yourself visa kit or our Hong Kong visa extension kit. Uh, and that's where we've sort of organized the uh, our content that, that we've already created in the main. We've organized it with an extra sort of layer on top that allows it to be used in, in a new and interesting way and to access it uh, through a new use scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also, if you look at that content, we've organized it in a fashion so that you um, you can sort of identify with you know who you are sort of as a visa applicant, but you don't know actually what type of visa you should be applying for. So on our website, we have a start here if you are, and then a list of things like if you're a business investor, if you're an employee, if you're uh, joining your family, and that kind of sort of, you know, intuitive way into, you know, the content that you've already already developed. Um, Another way to organize by use is to look at uh, the top 10 resources in in any particular sub niche that you operate in um, and corral them around a a special sort of label silo of content called must have resources Uh, and that way you can get the sort of 10 of the best pieces of content in uh, any particular sub niche of your main niche and uh, and make it accessible in that fashion so you can see through all of this that you know the kind of approach to utilization of the information that you've, you've got necessarily as your expertise uh, can be documented in such a way so that it's, it's, it's about utility and um, uh, being able to get sort of actionable value out of it for yourself so that, you know, you can then crystallize in their own mind exactly, you know, what they actually need to undertake for themselves through the use of that content to solve the problem versus... Mm. Uh, actually the value associated with perhaps just asking the author of that content to take care of that problem for them. Mm. Now, it, looking at it from a, from a customer perspective or somebody who's engaging with you or any, any similar platform online, do you think that there's an expectation in five to 10 years that people going onto the internet have a full expectation that everything will be free? I, 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 uh, yeah. I say that because yeah, so I, I genuinely believe that. Yeah. I, I find I get frustrated when I get to new sites now and they have a paywall. I think, you know, if you want to be competitive, whether you're the New York Times or any of them, you can read the articles for free. These people that do it and then still have a paywall, I think there's not much time left for them. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got two views on that. I think that the highest quality uh, news organization content uh, will always be able to sustain a subscription model because uh, uh, people need to have information they can rely on and trust and that's ultimately what they're selling. Uh, I agree with you that information you know, generally uh, can be found free and should be free 
but um, I subscribe to The Guardian, The New York Times and Washington Post um, and, and happily pay my subscription each month to, mm. you know, uh, you know, those news sources because I trust them. And, and you, um, but you, on the other. Yeah. Sorry. The, are, but on the other hand. Sorry, if I just perhaps finish. Yeah. But on the other hand, the. Um, the internet is ultimately destined to be free because the connection economy, as we're proving through our monopoly building endeavors, uh, essentially taps into the old adage that information is yearning to be free. Mm. Um, and and this, this, is, this is quintessential connection, in, connection economy, industrial economy, you know, interplay, because what you're doing here is by giving it away for free in this fashion is you're disaggregating and reaggregating value. Uh, and that's what happens as a result of the enabling, you know, capabilities of the connection economy. Mm. We didn't have that available to us in the industrial economy. So I, I think that if you look at the performance of a business like ours that's been documented in the way that it is, uh, you don't have to be or you won't have to be Einstein to realize that we've tapped into the natural dynamics of, of how the connection economy is, is going to be working in one, at least in one way from a, from a sort of a revenue a perspective uh, mm. in the future because this stuff works and it makes perfect sense. Uh, and the difference between being a, a, a mediocre player and a main player is is ultimately the quality of your content and the extent to which you embody an amazing, irresistible offer. I think if you can put those two phenomena together uh, in your proposition, you will go on to build a monopoly. It's mm. just a matter of time. I suppose it's, it's also about uh, limiting the risk of the person that's engaging with you. Well, that's right, because in final analysis, when there's an exchange of value for the access of expertise, then, you know, who should be bearing the risk in that exchange of value? It's got to be the expert, right? Mm. Uh, why should the why should the punter who wants the problem solved should bear the risk of the expert not delivering on his promise? It doesn't make any sense to me. So I think the natural sort of order of the known universe and the connection economy Modality will suggest that you know that's going to become self-evident over time, and and that's the way that a lot of new business models will be based going forward. Mm. Now, you you spoke about uh, trust, and you you go to certain news platforms because you trust them. Putting your content out on the internet, if it does appear on platforms that are less than trustworthy, and if Facebook or any of them get to a point where somebody actually questions the the quality of the content, how how do you mitigate that? What you mean, question the quality of our content? Yes, say. but based on the platform that you are on. So say say a platform starts to lose its credibility, be it a Reddit or something like that, and your content is on there, do you make a decision to pull it off? No, it doesn't make any difference to us because we just put our content uh, as far and as wide as we possibly can. Mm. What happens to it after you know it's been posted on those sites is, is a function of you know the in, inherent interest in that material. But mm. we can't really control what happens to that content after it's been um, sort of you know published onto those sites as we as we always publish primarily on well on, we do we publish everything on our own website first we own our own real estate in that regard mm -hmm. and then we just amplify the content by posting links uh, to uh, that content through all the all the main uh, social media presences okay so no that doesn't make any difference to us no that's not an issue the important thing is that from a trust perspective is that when somebody finds their themselves in our hands um it should be it should be very very self-evident within three clicks on your website that you are a trusted party uh, so there's 
those those things need to be thought through in terms of how your internet presence is manifested. And you know, if you look on our websites, there's a very big section that's quite you know easy to access via a link called Happy Clients, where uh, over the course of the last seven years, we've collected um, testimonials from you know satisfied uh, customers and, uh, and we've published them for, for everyone to see. That's only one you know one click away effectively from anyone who's on our website looking to. Think well. Who's thinking about spending money with us and wants to assess our, uh, our credentials? It's, it's not difficult to quickly s- sort of address people's minds positively uh, mm. when you're on our website in that regard. And and, and your websites going forward need to sort of anticipate and plan for that too. Mm. Okay. Right. So. We right. Have- well, which is a nice, which is a nice little de- uh, dovetail because um, whilst we've sort of you know documented our. Uh, expertise with intelligent content marketing through our power free um, series all, all in, embodied in encyclopedia and, uh, and intelligent content marketing and then a series of uh, 50 um, 50 videos that I did called the one chat walkabout series where I answered questions on intelligent content marketing and then a whole lot of other talks that uh, I've done I've documented the expertise down the years and sort of organized it in a fashion so so that kind of like sort of rounds up the whole sort of need to manifest your expertise in a in a in a in a, in a, in a way that's you know, provides utility to customers and is also engaging and is remarkable at the same time. Mm. Um, when you are doing all of that and you're thinking about you know what we've just discussed, that's the trust thing. Then um, when you're when your content is sort of, let's say, mature and is uh, it, it is now sort of documented to the fact that it's generating, to the extent it's generating organic visits to you through the search engine results pages, um, you should seek to um, do another level of content again that is going to allow you to manifest what I've called last word content. So that it's self-evident that to anybody, to anybody who sort of looks at your material, that that, that you are objectively assessed, um, uh, kind of like the, the the sort of the last word, the final author, the highest sort of authority in relation to the, this particular material in this particular niche. Um, and the Cambridge Dictionary defines the last word as the the best or most modern example. Um, um, with intelligent content marketing, I've defined last word as being no higher authority. Uh, and in this regard, it's seeking to become the sort of the definitive of the highest authority in your niche and documenting in a way such that you produce content that's actionable and incredibly useful. And it, it clearly sheds uh, light on the fact that it's at the, at the pinnacle of the hierarchy of material, as I say, in that niche. And we did that in Hong Kong Visa Center through a, um, a program that was couched as Schooling the Lawyers. And Schooling the Lawyers is uh, the, the video record of me uh, teaching a three-hour seminar, I do it once a year, to um, solicitors in Hong Kong who sign up for the program and get three continuing professional development points uh, from attending that, that program, and I'm the author of that material, and I deliver that material. So, in a sense, what I'm doing, is, and that's sanctioned, that's accredited by the Law Society of Hong Kong. So, so in a sense, by teaching this program uh, and documenting my expertise and sharing my expertise with the lawyers, who you know conceptually are sitting below me in the knowledge hierarchy, 
um, I can then leverage leverage that uh, and position myself as being, you know, definitively the um, the highest authority in this particular niche because I, 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 as a lawyer, teach the lawyers how to do it. Sure, it's like um, like ju- led, judges are assumed to be the best of the best. Ex- exactly, exactly. So as it happened, there was I've been teaching that program for about fifteen years anyway. Um, but uh, I decided that I was going to record it uh, and it was going to then serve as the last word content because I've been telling everybody for years about teaching always how to do this stuff anyway. So, mm. so you know, that's, uh, that, that's to me, when you're documenting your expertise, uh, that, that's an integral part of, um, of, of, of positioning it as being sort of no, no, no higher authority and you can, you can implicitly trust it. Now, do you date your content? And I, I'll tell you why. Yesterday, I was looking for information and I found a website that was a publishing house and they had come up with a series uh, on this particular subject and I found, and they said it was a six-part series, I found part one of the series, part two of the series, and at the end of each of these documents was a lead into the next document to get you hooked to read the next one. Um, yeah. And the articles weren't dated. But they never carry, they must have carried on with the series because it's a, a proper newspaper publication, but it's not online. Drives me nuts. Absolutely drives me so nuts. I, I was thinking, no, yeah. you know, is content timeless and is the content in your genre timeless? Or And then you would update or remove content that changes. Say if immigration changes a policy on something, then the content relevant to that is no longer applicable. Do you then remove it? Well, it's... It's essentially what you do is you document your expertise as at one moment in time, and then you have to serve as a librarian function Mm. in relation to that content, and you keep it live, active, and current and up to date, so that it's a definitive resource in your niche, uh, which again is ten times content activity. Uh, So, so yeah, but the way uh, to your point, yeah, it drives me absolutely bananas when I'm, you know, I'm reading a piece of content. I need to reference it by date. Sure. Right. Just because it might have an old date doesn't automatically put me off it. My op- my operating assumption is that if it's still there and it's it's valid at that date, and this is looks like a credible website, then you know I, I believe that there's nothing more that uh, can be said about this from this particular party. Um, in my instance, what we do is we we publish and we, we try to publish now in a way so that the material is evergreen. In the early part of the sort of content development exercise, I was. Uh, answering questions and referencing the answers uh, that people have asked me to dates in the questions, um, and uh, I could I could just as easily have you know sort of masked the dates and couched it a different way and and, mm. and produced the answer so that it didn't relate to any particular point in time and it would therefore stay evergreen. But yep. early on, I didn't do that. Um, uh, but so early on, I, I answered some of the really you know meaty questions that you know people would ask in my nation so even though the answer is still the same uh the uh the material is out there for all to see at the date that it was live and active so where that means when you come on our website actually you can trust it because if you look at our blog roll you'll see that the blog roll is updated every other day so very quickly you know you can uh, arrive at a sense of trust mm. uh, but by the same token that sometimes that that content um, uh, can be reused to illustrate a point, and and now what I've started to do with that that content that uh, uh, isn't wasn't evergreen and was date bound in the early days, I republish it 
um, uh, with a little bit of sort of tidying up of some of the stuff and then just denote right at the very top of the of the page that it was first published on okay. so that you can reference and anchor it in time. So, yeah, mm. I think it's absolutely vital that you have your uh, material dated uh, and your material must sit, uh, you know, within the body of its uh, of it. Of it of its colleague content, if you will, uh, uh, and you know will be referenced in time because it, it should be deemed live and active uh, as it was at that time. And uh, when there are major changes, as as happened recently to the same sex partners um, uh, adjustment in in immigration practice here, it used to be that uh, uh, same sex uh, married couples or married or same sex partners in civil unions, civil partnerships, they could not get dependent visas in Hong Kong. Uh, and effectively, that that dis- disallowed them from working. So they could be, there was another visa that they could get to stay with their partner, but uh, they wouldn't be able to work under that visa. Anyway, the, the Court of Final Appeal uh, sort of overruled Im- the immigration department in, in, in a profound way, which meant that the whole entire area of practice has, has changed. So uh, we're just now finishing sort of 90 days after the change in the law, complete review of our content tool so that our content tool is completely up to date in relation to how the law works now. Uh, so that's just an editorial function, but it's a librarianship that comes naturally with, um, you know, the responsibility associated with having a business predicated on content that is last word and uh, that is unique and uh, uh, actionable. Mm. Okay. And when, you know, you've created a lot of pieces of content as well as running the business proper, how do you get the time to actually do both? Effective delegation. <laughs> Management style. Well, effective delegation and, and, you know, forthright leadership, that's what it boils down to. Um, in the final analysis, for you to scale, you have to, you know, hand out functions as you grow. And given that Martin and I started this, just the two of us, and we're, we're 27, or we feed 27 families now. So it's grown quite a lot. Clearly, you know, down uh, down the eight, seven, seven years that we've been in business, we've had to hand functions off because there's 20, 25 others sort of below us now, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, finding the time is, is really just a question of being strategic about, you know, uh, the decisions that you make. I... Um, uh, you know, I've had uh, I had a few bad years back then, right? And I've come through that, and I'm thinking about sort of my future now. And uh, uh, I uh, I'm sort of starting to operate at the pinnacle of my effectiveness, uh, and that means that you know I'm constantly searching for opportunities to do more with the limited resources that I've got, including my time. Mm. Uh, that forces me because I, I want to achieve a lot in the fastest time possible. So to make up for lost time, it forces me to, you know, really proactively delegate and, 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 and look constantly for resources that you know, can help me sort of delegate effectively. Mm. Uh, and the delegation is, is really just empowering other people with that particular work function uh, and, uh, uh, and letting them get on with it and trusting them and giving them the responsibility. And uh, I found that, that it's very easy to scale if you've got the right people around you and you've got a network of earned trust, which is a, a Charlie Munger philosophy. Now, to fully understand the value of the content you create, obviously you can see what it, uh, what it generates in terms of traffic and where it puts your presence on the web answering questions. If somebody was to look at a business in, in, in the hope of purchasing that business, what would you say the value of a very strong content proposition would be to the business in terms of making it more valuable? 
well, the way it value the, the way that you value a business like that is to say, well, okay, you know, how many how many visitors do you have each year, mm. uh, and, and what's the total amount of revenue? So uh, you then sort of divide the, the total amount of revenue by the number of visitors that you got, and then you know exactly how much each each visitor is worth to you. So, so that, that's how you go about think, thinking about sort of valuations in the first in the first instance. Mm. So somebody would look at a business that had a very strong online presence with great content and say it's worth more than one that never bothered doing it. So it's actually a worthwhile oh, investment. Oh, well, well, no, well, 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 exactly. Big point. So, you know, the reason why I sort of couched in those terms is because you want to have a magnet that will allow those visitors to come. Mm. Um, and the way that you generate that magnet is to recognize that that particular area in somebody's existence requires access to the particular knowledge and expertise that you have. Uh, and they have a sort of, it might even be just a one-time or an occasional time problem with pain that you can take away because it's not worth them investing uh, in all the, all the time uh, in actually learning how to solve that problem for themselves. They've got mm. busy lives too. So, uh, you know that's that, that that's the game and that's the trick there. Mm, okay. Now next week, where are we going to go? Well, um, we're still talking, I believe, about content. Yes. Um, and I'm going to separate the two types of content activity into what will give you in, you know, a, a very short-term quick return on your investment and then uh, the content activity that will give you your long-term ROI that mm. it actually is representative of the underlying value in the company uh, when it comes time for sale because that uh, platform content that you build is, as I say, going to be a magnet for customers and uh, as long as they keep coming back, you'll be selling to them and they'll, uh, they'll be worth value to you. So mm. uh, that's it. So that's what we'll be talking about next week. Fantastic. So, well, let's uh, let's catch up next Friday, and you have an absolutely awesome afternoon. Okay. Have you got a um, Have you got a nice outro for me? A, a, a jingle that can you know represent the, the due love, care, and affinity you've got for uh, our chats. Digital Bacon FM. Hopefully after this, you'll have more ideas on how to document your expertise and experience. So join us next time for an in-depth look at ClickFunnels.